Hi everyone and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson. Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thanks, Mikey. Okay, folks, so here's the show. It's about the unsung heroes, the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually, mate, it's also about the cock ups. (laughs) Those howlers, the moments of madness, they're sometimes tragic, sometimes comical, that have made the world what it is today. Great folks, great to be back for a new year, and we're picking up where we left off, aren't we, Paul? That's right, you know, we had some lovely feedback over the break, didn't we, Mikey? And uh, of course, yeah, we wanted to finish what we started in Season 4, so we thought we'd bring you our first extra helpings. And these are in reference to shows we did in Season 4, so let's start with the show that kicked off Season 4. Personal favourite of mine, and a real area of expertise for you, mate. We're going to talk about the Kushans. And look, a lot of questions that we've gotten from you know, various socials, and I'm going to ask it again myself. Why haven't we heard of the Kushans? Well, that's right, Mikey. That's what we were talking about in that episode, wasn't it? Why, for such an enormous empire, as big as the Romans, as big as the Parthians, why have they not left their footprint on most people's historical knowledge? And I suppose the first reason is because they have no direct descendants, do they? There's no one who can trace themselves back to the Kushans, and therefore there's no one who can really beat their drums, you know, if you compare them to the Romans. The Ro- yeah, I was about to say the Romans, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the, the Romans, it's not just Italy who beats that drum, is it? It's the whole of Europe, you know, starting with... Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Emperor. The first Holy Roman Emperor from your Formosus child <laughs> yes, yes. episode, yeah. And then, of course, in the East, you've got the Byzantine Empress saying that they are the, the second Rome, if you like. You then got the Renaissance. Oh, of course, which is seen to be you know, the rebirth of the classics. And even people like Ivan the Terrible, Mike, you know, in 1547, when he declares himself to be the first ruler of the Russian Empire, he calls himself the first Tsar, Khazar, Caesar, mm-hmm. yeah, and he calls Moscow, you know, the third Rome, yeah, with Byzantium being the second Rome. And man, if you're talking Tsars, Khazars, you're going to even stretch that bow as far as Kaisers, Kaiser Wilhelm the First. Yep, that's right. He referenced you know, the Caesars as well when he created his German Empire. So, mate, let me get this straight. The Kushans had no descendants? Well, that's the question that I wanted to touch on today, Mikey, because if you read most history books, they'll say, yes, yeah, the Kushans died out, we were never heard of again, and that was the end of them. But there is this interesting theory about a certain uh, people in the northern Pakistan-Afghanistan border who have blue eyes and blonde hair. What? Okay, so this is in a place called the Shitral Valley, which is up higher in the Hindu Kush. And these people... Can I just point out how mature I am? You said Shitral Valley and I did not make a joke. <laughs> but so it's up in the Kush, right? <laughs> right, it's up in the Hindu Kush. You've got these people called the Kalash people. Uh-huh. Now, this is a unique community. It's very small, but they are all non-Muslims, obviously surrounded by Muslims. They've got these Caucasian features, like I said, blonde hair, blue eyes. They are polytheistic. Come again, come again. (laughs) Polytheistic. So they've got more than one god. More than one god, many gods, that's right. And they also make their own wine, which, of course, is very unusual in that area. Yeah, but Paul, what you're describing to me, couldn't they be descendants of Alexander? Well, so, okay, one of the original theories was that they were 
direct descendants um, of Alexander and his troops. Because, of course, you know, Alexander, he took thousands um, of Macedonians and Greek and Persians with him as he went east. And when he married Roxane, the princess of Bactria, which is that old name for this area, North Pakistan, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, um, obviously when he got married, a lot of his soldiers followed suit. And the idea was that perhaps these are the descendants, the direct descendants from these Greek and Macedonian soldiers. Because long after Alexander had gone, those Greeks stayed yeah. in the area and they created what became known as the Greco-Bactrian kingdoms, um, which actually lasted, you know, not just decades, but for hundreds of years. Is there also a similar theory about the Roman legionnaire DNA in northwest China? There is, Mikey, but we're not going to go there today. It we sounds got, a bit wacky to me. We haven't, got, well, we haven't got time for it today. I want to stick with the Kushans and I want to stick with these Kalash people. So are the Kalash the Kushans? Well, I certainly think, Mikey, that the answer to that question is certainly more complicated than saying it's directly descended from Alexandria or one person or the other. Because um, if you remember from that episode, before the Kushans set up their enormous empire, which was like the first, second, third century AD, mm-hmm. back at the end of the BC area, you had these um, waves of invasions from the Saka tribes, from the Uazi tribes, mm-hmm. and the Uazi probably gave birth to the Kushans. Now, as we explained, the Uazi actually were coming from China, but before they'd got to China, they, like the Saka, had been nomadic steppe people. So, oh, on the steppes, right. So in terms of DNA, you know, all these um, tribes, they're direct descendants um, of the Caucasian borderlands between Europe and Asia. And the Kushans, as they grew their empire, if, if they weren't directly descended to these tribes, they certainly incorporated these tribes and made them part of that great empire, which gave birth, as we said, to the Silk Roads. So yes, the Kalash probably did have links to Alexander the Great and his troops, but I also think they probably had links to the Caucasian elements of the Kushan Empire as well. Because I think it all comes back to something we've touched on a few times now, isn't it, Mikey, that we don't know what we don't know. And if you don't produce your own written records as an empire or as a dynasty, then you're not going to be remembered by history, because I'm afraid to say it, Mike, yes. history needs historians. And Paul says this as a fully paid up member of the Historians Club. <laughs> yeah, OK, fair point. But you see, the Kushans, really, they were written out of history, not because they weren't successful, but because the succeeding empires, the succeeding dynasties from Iran and from Central Asia and from India, they took over and they wrote the history from their point of view, which, of course, highlighted their achievements and denigrated the Kushans. And the lesson from this, folks, is to support your local history podcasters. All right, so there we are, Mikey. That's episode one. And, of course, episode two was your howler of howlers, wasn't it? The debacle that was the reign of Emperor Commodus. Yes, indeed. And we talked about gladiators in that one. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to talk about the movie. I was going to say, no more movies, please. No more rusty. But we did get a few people asking me, particularly with my tastes, did I have any weird titbits about gladiators? Right. And I came across this, mate. Now, in 1933, mm-hmm. archaeologists in the ancient Roman town of Ephesus... Yeah, yeah, modern-day Turkey. Modern-day yeah. Turkey. Well, they came across an unusual burial ground. Mm-hmm. What was unusual was there were the local citizens, but buried next to them were people that were pretty certain had been gladiators. Right. So it's one of the first few times you actually got gladiators buried next to normal Roman citizens. Mm. In 2014, 
research was done on these remains, on the bones, mm. and what they found out was that the citizens and the gladiators had pretty much the same diet. Lots of grain, lots of vegetables, as, as we know about the, the Roman Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Not much protein, but the results for the gladiators were a bit different. Mm. It showed that they had a diet that was considerably higher in calcium mm. and electrolytes. Electrolytes. Yeah. And I was at this point, the researchers remembered Pliny the Elder's writing from the 5th century. Sure. Now, he stated, Your hearth should be your medicine chest. Drink mm. lye made from its ashes and you'll be cured. One can see how gladiators after battle are helped by drinking this. Right. Okay, the lye he's speaking of, it's a mixture of wood, plant, fruit and herb ash with vinegar and water, mate. <laughs> sort of gladiatorial sports drink. What's well, funny, you should mention that, mate. Think of it as gladiator Gatorade. <laughs> now, they also reckon from the differences in bone structure that not only were the gladiators consumed it after battle, but it was like their standard pre-training and post-training drink. Right. Now, the eating of ash was, it was quite common in ancient Rome, almost to give things like a charcoal sort of flavour. So it's not completely out of bounds that have made this drink. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing I love. A guy called Fabian Katz, who was mm -hmm. one of the researchers in 2014, mm -hmm. he actually dug out Pliny's old recipe and concocted a batch and he said it tasted a bit like a refreshing lemonade <laughs> or high octane lemon squash bingo Which brings us to the next episode from season four, the one that gave me a brain headache, mate. <laughs> I told you before, I failed maths in high school. So it's with some trepidation that I'm going to re-enter the world of calendars, but it is really interesting. It is really interesting, and of course it gave me an opportunity to get my man, the Earl of Macclesfield, in there as well. But before we get into that, mate... The Julian calendar, yeah. The Julian calendar. Now, we had a few listeners point this out on Twitter, and I've, I've got to say to myself, you know, Julius Caesar, the scholar, the visionary, the, the inventor of the groundbreaking calendar. Well, did he do this before? or after he burnt down the Great Library of Alexander. <laughs> okay, fair point. But if you remember, Mike, I've always said, you know, I'm not actually that big a fan of Julius Caesar or Augustus, if you remember <laughs> from that Mark Antony episode. So I'm going to concentrate on another question. Mm. And that question came about, is it true the Romans had an eight-day week? Ah, a Beatles question. Someone else has spent the whole of Christmas watching the Get Back documentary. <laughs> eight days a week. Okay, Mikey, that's true, yes. But the thing is, Mikey, they've got a point. Because if you remember, in that episode, I explained about the very early Roman calendar having ten months, you know, beginning in March and ending in Dec the 10th month December. But there were another couple of months they shoved in during winter while no one was looking, right? <laughs> yes, that's true as well. But the 10 months, Mikey, they equated to 304 days, which in turn equated to the 38, what we, are, we would know as weeks and what they called the Nundinal cycles. And it was these Nundinal cycles that were made up of eight different days. Okay, mate. I only did first year Latin, but nundinal. Nun means nine. So how do we get to eight? Right, okay, no, fair point, Mikey. Yes, nun does mean nine, but these eight-day cycles were then followed by, on the ninth day, the market. The market days, or basically what was the old Roman weekend, the day of rest. Yeah, hence the name um, Nundinae, not, not Octinae. So one day off every nine days, and you're saying that's the reason the eight-day week didn't catch on? <laughs> yeah, well, not the only reason, is it? Because when the new Roman Republic came in, they introduced their own 12-month calendar, and of course the Julian calendar um, had 12 months as well, and suddenly everyone realised that the new numbers, they're not going to be really very divisible by eight, are they? Let me get my pencil. 
<laughs> yeah, so if you remember, we talked about the lunar months having 29 days yeah. and the solar year having 365 days. Now, okay, they're not exactly divisible by seven either, but... Yeah, <laughs> but, but close enough, yeah. Seven's a lot closer than eight. So as the Christian traditions came along, so we decided to go back to the seven-day week, which actually originally dates back to the Babylonians. Oh, really? The seven-day week goes back to Babylon, pre-Roman. That's right, but the interesting thing is the Christian church kept... The idea of the Nundinal cycle in terms of the Nundinal letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. And that actually formed the basis for the Christian Dominical letters, A to G, which are all used in how the church these days calculates Easter and how many Friday the 13th there are in each year and that kind of thing. So yet again, another Christian tradition that has its roots in pagan Rome. Exactly. Okay, Paul, I can see you chafing at the bit to talk <laughs> about your mate, the Earl of Macclesfield, Thomas Parker. Yeah, well, I would just like to talk about Macclesfield one more time. And yes, that man, remember Thomas Parker, he's the guy who stole the days. He's the guy in the late 18th century who rejigged the calendar for the British government. And if you remember, he was <laughs> no one really liked him. And you know, he's known as a bit of a busybody, poking his nose in everywhere. Oh, yeah, that's right. We talked about the Hogarth painting where he was seen as being a bit of a meddler, the, the guy who took away the supposed yeah. 12 days. That's right. Give us our 12 days back. Well, that explains one of the questions that was asked to us on Twitter. And it sort of makes sense to me. Because of that meddling, was he the original nosy Parker? Yes, well, it sounds like quite a good tie-in, doesn't it, Mikey? But actually, I've done a bit of digging. It doesn't seem to have gone quite that way. In fact... Most people believe that Nosy Parker goes back to Elizabethan times to a guy called Matthew Parker, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury from uh, 1559 to 1575. Now, he was famed for doing these detailed investigations into his clergy to find out all the qualifications and activities, because, of course, you've got that big problem at that stage between the Catholic priests of Mary's reign and the new Protestant priests of Elizabeth's reign, and there also seems to be evidence that he was more than happy to interfere with Elizabeth's own religious views, and that's why he was known as Nosy Parker for always sticking his nose into other people's business. So your man, the Earl of Macclesfield, Thomas Parker, mightn't have given us Nosy Parker, but that's not the end of his story, right? No, he did give us something else. He is the Parker that gave us the Parker Bowles line, uh, which of course gives us Brigadier Andrew Parker Bowles. Hang on, Andrew Parker Bowles, I know that name. I've, I've seen The Crown. He was the first husband of your soon-to-be first-ever Queen Camilla. All right, folks, so there you go. That's Season 4, Episodes 1 to 3, Extra Helpings 1. Join us next week for Extra Helpings 2. And also, too, folks, don't forget, we're working on Season 5, which will be dropping in February. So there you go. Any questions, any comments, just drop us a line on all your social media. Same as usual, your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whichever you prefer. That's right. And as always, the same handle, at The Rest Is Hist. The Rest Is Hist. And you'll find all that in the show notes. And whenever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment on whichever platform you happen to use. It's always great to get your feedback. Yeah, keep it all coming. We've had lots of fun on there. Lots of extra stories. And maps. <laughs> all right, right. Which brings us to next week. Mm-hmm.